Ever have one of those days where you can't hit the ground with your hat? That's what the stock market was like for investors. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today, the Chief Investment Officer, Andy Cross. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris. We're going to get to Shopify. We're going to get to EPAM systems. But uh, can we just start with the pain? Just for a second. Yeah. We are, it's a little after 12 noon on the East Coast. The NASDAQ is down basically 5% in less than three hours. And maybe that bounces back some before the end of the day. But for anyone out there feeling the pain, uh, a couple things. We're feeling it too. We're feeling this pain. I'm feeling this pain. Yeah. And this is the cost of doing business. Yeah, with investing, um, as we've been experiencing really f- for much of the much of the year and much of the, for the for the past you know of this calendar year, but really for the past you know year or so of, of foolish kind of investing is um, the markets. The markets sometimes can be unforgiving, and in, in periods like this, when we're going through this reset, we had two years of a COVID period that was unlike any we ever saw before, Chris, and now we're kind of going through two years of this again, um, and we're gonna have to come out of this and we see the Fed acting in ways they've never acted before. We see just some of the data that came out today on the economic side with with efficiency and productivity way down, unit labor costs way up. I mean, numbers we haven't seen in, in, in decades. Um, so, we're starting to see the impacts of, of inflation and just the economic um, uh, consideration that's having an impact on, on valuations as interest rates are, are moving into a much more normalized environment and probably higher than many of us have seen in a long time. So, so the markets are digesting this information and we do go through these periods of cycles and this one's very, very acute. It's, it's, uh, Bill Gurley was saying the other day, I heard him say, it's, it's very much like a saw, like you don't experience, you think markets maybe go more in like waves. When they go down, they go down in saws, like a like a saw blade, you know, like a saw blade, and just it, it drops. And when we're going through that right now, and it can be it can be very painful, and we're empathetic to that to, to listeners and to our members. And the only reason uh, we keep going is because we know the longer you're in the market, the more it's going to pay off. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, there are periods. Uh, there are there are down periods in the market, certainly, and. Bear markets tend tend to last much shorter than than bull markets, um, and uh, there aren't many down when you look when you stretch out over any period, Chris, of of going back um, decades and decades of of you know five to ten year periods of investing. If you're if you're holding businesses, just in the in the wide case of the U.S. market, most of the times, um, almost ninety percent of the times, the market the stock prices. They at least they generate some return if you add in dividends there. Um, now there's a lot of churn inside the index as we're feeling right now very acutely when you have so many stocks, the average stock down so much more than the index right now. So we're feeling this very acutely. But over time, those they they, they do march higher, but they do go through this is the, the the pain of pain for those returns, those. 10% annualized returns in the S&P 500, Chris, that goes back 100 years that we've talked about and, and, and point to, um, and, and the, the fantastic returns we've had over the last decade, which we probably won't have over the next coming decade, but we should see some kind of return. 
but in between, you do you do see these these periods of drawdowns, and to get those kinds of returns, you do have to you have to to, to wither these these storms, uh, weather these storms, um, and for 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 even new for new investors, that's certainly painful. But even for experienced investors, it's it's like you and I and others. It's it's even it's even hard for us to to, to go through, and you just have to continue to maintain that focus on the on on the long term and owning the businesses that you want to own for the next five ten years. The unforgiving environment that we are in leads us uh, to Shopify because um, Shopify's first quarter profits and revenue came in lower than expected. They said that revenue growth in the near term is going to be lower. Uh, they also spent two billion dollars on a logistics company called Deliver, and the market's not going to forgive that combination of events and shares of Shopify down about 15%. Um, where do you want to start? Because uh, uh, whether we start there or um, uh, or somewhere else, I, d- I do want to get your thoughts on this acquisition. Well, we definitely want to talk about the Deliver, a little bit more than $2 billion acquisition that really pushes them further and further into the logistics network. This has been rumored for a little bit, Chris, so this is not not a, a huge surprise. Um, uh, there, was, there was a news report out that, that they might make this acquisition, and now it's come, come true. But let's just start, before we jump into that, we'll just start about the quarter. Because like you said, it was coming off the Amazon quarter. There's a lot of similarities when you look at some of the e-commerce business, some of the threads that were coming out of the Amazon, you start to see with Shopify, their gross merchandise volume. So, all the, the value of products going across their platform was $43.2 billion. That was up only 16% year over year. Now, Toby was very quickly appointed like, on a compounded annual basis over two years. That's up 57%. I don't think they made many comments like that in the past. So, it's a little bit of a, you know, don't look at this for the just the past quarter, look at it over the past year, and last year was what the last quarter, uh, the 2021 quarter, first quarter was was pretty exceptional, um, but still up only 16%. That's that's a that's a number we haven't seen from Shopify in a while. Gross payment volume of 22 billion, which represented more than half of the gross merchandise volume. That's an all-time record. Um, that was up from 46% in the first quarter of 2021. What that means is more people are using the the Shopify payment network. That are also using the Shopify um, platform overall. Um, merchant solution revenue, Chris, was up 29%. Um, that's Shopify payments, capital, Shopify markets, but the subscription solutions was up only 8% on the revenue side. So you start to see the dynamics, and that's a big part of, of Shopify's business, the, the, the subscription part of their business. Monthly recurring revenue up 17%. So these are numbers from Shopify that we're not used to seeing, and what they were what they talked about is just this environment, Chris, you pointed to at the start, um, that, that we're seeing as companies are normalizing, trying to figure out what their online, offline commerce looks like. Um, there was some commentary from some of the analysts that, you know, the the, the point of sales was pretty good growth from, from Shopify. Um, uh, the um, social was was pretty good spent on social, but when you start to kind of bake it all out, the the general e-commerce business for Shopify was was in the in the single digits, and that's that's kind of like what the numbers like Amazon was talking about too. So you see these threads showing up, Chris, for these big platform companies, um, and it's starting to to show and what it means from the revenue growth, and then that impacts the profit picture too. And the profits were much lower than analysts were expecting um, on the earnings side and the operating profit side, and because of the merchant um, solution business is much uh, is not as profitable as the subscription business. So you add up that environment, Chris, and that's why you're seeing a stock that just is reacting pretty um, severely in the markets today. And we're seeing this across e-commerce today. You look at what's happening with eBay, Etsy, 
Wayfair. Uh, part of this for all of these businesses is inflation, because yeah. if you look at the um, the volume of spending that's happening, um, people are still spending money, uh, but things are more expensive. So the, it's not like people are buying a lot more in terms of volume. They just happen to be paying more because of inflation. And companies that have the ability to increase prices are doing that. In terms of the acquisition of Deliver, uh, again, logistics company based in Denver, $2.1 billion. Yep. Uh, it, it sounds like you think, okay, yes, this is happening on a day when um, all this other news comes out about Shopify. Maybe that's by design because it, it seems like it fits with the direction of where Shopify wants to go. Well, where it's where it has to go, Chris. Certainly, we're seeing obviously um, Amazon um, in the logistics network. They have built out this competition there. They they are focusing and they've been talking about. Um, building out all the logistics, they talked about it on the call again. How they're at, how they continue to invest, and by the way, the cost structure going forward is going to continue to be high as they make these investments into their business in people, marketing certainly, and also logistics, including the deliver acquisition. Deliver is going to add a few points to the to the sales line. Um, obviously, the costs they're going to bring 400 people into the Shopify family, so there's going to be costs there. It's almost all the costs are almost all people, but it's a technology. Toby was talking about Toby Lukey, the founder and CEO of Shopify talking about how it's a technology-first logistics company, and it helps match up the various warehousing and the and the operations and logistics for various warehousing, so it kind of sits right with Shopify's uh, key warehouse management system and pairs together. And so, from that perspective, it, it it seems like it would be a very good fit. The question is, do they do they have to make that as an acquisition? Can they do a partnership? So, there's lots of questions of kind of like, what is the return on that massive investment? It's the biggest they've ever made. Um, they're clearly excited about it because of what Amazon is doing and has been building out. But uh, Deliver focuses on it, really getting products into consumers' hands within two days. And that's their that's their bread and butter, and they do it from a software logistics side. Um, but it's an expensive acquisition for a company that right now is 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 struggling to to um, f- to 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 really um, grow in the way that we've kind of been used to Shopify. Now I will say ha- has been I will say Chris the one um, one of the bright spots is Shopify Plus the solution that um, serves larger cl- larger clients big Fortune 500 clients, that is a part of the business that continues to do well. It's just more of the, I think that the more of the mom and pops they've attracted over the last um, couple years, um, that part of the business is, is, is struggling a little bit. It's a wider, it's the, certainly more number of clients, but the Shopify Plus, there's that flywheel effect because they can they can spend so much more into this, the merchant solutions part of the business as they as they grow. So some bright spots with Shopify Shopify Plus, but and and I think the deliver acquisition um, is is something they've they've had to do to be competitive, but the the jury is still out on those those investments. Let's move on to EPAM Systems. Um, not a household name, although maybe it should be. Uh, it's an IT services provider. Uh, first quarter profits were higher than expected uh, on a day when there is so much red out there in the market. Shares of EPAM Systems are 
up about 7% when we started recording. This is one you own. Um, what did you make of the business, and, and uh, what did you make of the quarter, and what do you like about this business? So, Chris, between Shopify and EPAM this morning, I was not expecting the um, the, the green from EPAM and the, this kind of red from Shopify. Quick refresher, EPAM is an IT consultant business with most of their employee base based in Ukraine, Bella and Belarus with some in Russia. So they are very focused from a people perspective in Ukraine and Belarus. Their founder is Belarusian. Arkady Dopkin founded the business in 1993. I've followed him for many, many years. They're based in, in my home um, state of Pennsylvania. He's been very successful in delivering tech solutions and growing the EPAM business. Um, the stock went from, you know, gosh, 600 down to a low of 200 right during the period of the Russian invasion of Ukraine because they didn't literally know what their people could do. Could they get services? They came out, they pulled guidance. There was just a lot of just safety for their employee base in Ukraine. So there's a lot of like uncertainty about what they would be reporting from an earnings perspective and just how their business would evolve, let alone their the, the safety of their, their employee base, which this company has been very successful over the years, serving very large clients, providing lots of different consulting services across travel, leisure, consumer, tech, healthcare, um, retail, lots of different spaces they, they help out. So I was very eager. The stock has has rebounded a little bit, not just today, because they came out maybe a couple months ago and said, listen, we've been able to take care of our people, move them, redistribute them. We're donating to, to, to Ukraine, continue to support Ukraine. So they've, they've been as open as they could be, but it was very interesting about what they would report this quarter. And I got to say, Chris, this quarter was actually pretty impressive when you think about year-over-year revenue growth of growth of almost fifty percent. If you if you adjust for some of the strong dollar, it was more than fifty percent. Earnings per share on an adjusted basis up almost thirty-eight percent. Both of those numbers beat estimates guidance. Um, their cost structures are inc- are increasing, of course, because they have to hire people. They ha- they grew their staff. They still grew their staff in the in the during the quarter, Chris. Their their delivery staff, their technology delivery staff, by more than forty-one percent. So even with all that's going on for this business, they may be able to find people, allocate people, make them make the people still productive and still be able to serve clients. And importantly, basically, by the way, all of their divisions basically grew. Travel and consumer was up 91% as more travel companies look for tech solutions to be able to serve their population. But they really saw growth across all of their areas. Financial services was the next biggest um, growth. And import- impressively, they saw growth in Europe and Middle East too, Chris. Um, it was their second best performing, um, their first best performing market and their second largest market. But their guidance for the quarter, Chris, was really attractive, with growth up about 29%. A little drop in earnings, as to be expected, but that number was was about what analysts were expecting. So, overall, this company, considering what they've had to go through over the past few months, has performed really admirably, and it's very respectful. Real quick, before I let you go, who does EPAM compete with? Yeah, lots of different consulting companies. So they compete with all of the all the 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 the, the um, like cognizant technologies and Accenture and different different providers like that. What EPAM has done very well, um, they've outsourced their technology services to programmers who are based in Eastern Europe behind the Soviet bloc, because um, Arkady created the company um, when he came to the United States and he was looking for programming help. And the um, in the Eastern European countries, 
behind the Soviet bloc, when you were a developing programmer, you basically were on the clock. You had to develop under time because you had to pay based by the hour of time that you were on the computer. So they became very, very efficient programmers. So he started tapping into his old network and realized, well, they could be working overnight, different hours, and I could be working with them to develop those skills. So he just carried that into growing EPAM from 1993. Um, they went public, I think, in 2012. So he's been at this for a very, very long time. Um, and what they've been able to do is serve their customers in a very technology-first way, in a in a consumer in a con, uh, customer service way, by embedding with their teams and providing technology services at a far lower cost than having to hire full-time tech, tech employees. So, um, but the risk you get with that is you have a, a large uh, workforce that's based in, in parts of the parts of the world that sometimes are unstable, like we see, like, certainly like we've seen over the last few months. Andy Cross, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Chris. To ease the pain the NASDAQ is causing, can I interest you in a little pizza and ice cream? Our man Jim Gillies is taking a closer look at MTY Food Group, a Canadian food franchiser with brands like Cold Stone Creamery, Papa Murphy's Pizza, and Blimpy Submarines. And if those franchises don't exactly excite your taste buds, Jim talks with Ricky Mulvey about why they should as an investor. Jim, before we started recording, you said this is the great unknown Canadian success story. Uh, what leads you to that conclusion? Well, Rick, they own about 80, just over 80 different banners across Canada and increasingly across North America and even internationally. Uh, and they've done that by a combination of starting a lot of their own concepts early on, which tended to be, you know, here, uh, different ethnic cuisine. So here's your Chinese offering, here's your Indian offering, here's your Japanese offering. And they would quite often, you'd go to a food court in a mall and you wouldn't realize that half the, the the, the concepts in the mall were all owned by the same company. Okay, uh, so they they kind of started out with these different concepts, and once they started getting some success with those, they started buying additional concepts. So they bought uh, banners like cultures and country style, kind of tired third and fourth tier brands, to be honest, in Canada. But the important thing was the management here, very savvy, and we'll get to them in a bit. The management here always paid very cheaply. So one of their concepts that they own is called Baja Fresh. And Baja Fresh used to be owned by Wendy's, which you may have heard of. Uh, back when Wendy's owned Tim Hortons, they had that third brand, Baja Fresh, and they paid about 300 and so million dollars for it. Uh, wasn't as successful as Wendy's, wasn't as successful as Tim Hortons. They ultimately threw it over the side at some point, and MTY picked it up a few years later for $30 million. So, you know, they, you know, like a tenth of what Wendy's had paid. Um, and what they've done is they progressively added concepts, added, like I said, third and fourth kind of tier brands. And then as they got larger, they started adding first and second tier brands. You mentioned that they have 80 different brands or 80 different banners under MTY. Is that a, you know, that sounds that might sound good on the surface, but is it possible to have too much diversification and essentially too many brands going at once? I don't think so, uh, because essentially you're dealing with individual customers. And so, uh, Ricky, you might want you might want a Cold Stone Creamery, 
Okay, but our man behind the glass, Rick Engdahl, he he might be really a believer in uh, in Papa Murphy's the the take and bake pizza concept. So you know, it's it's the same business. It's the same business. I'm selling you a franchise. I'm selling you a concept. They are franchise ors. They are not running. So they have these concepts, and and they have staff dealing with each concept at MTY headquarters in Quebec. But they are not spread thinly because you know an individual client might only want one or two uh, brands, might want only one or two banners. So they've gone from these concepts. They've now gone into. Uh, they made an acquisition called Investcore in 2017, I believe. Um, which is a lot of sit-down table dining. They bought a, co- a concept called Turtle Jacks, which there is one here in town, uh, which are sit-down. And so they've kind of moved up from food court to kind of third and and fourth tier non-food court brands to brands that are kind of first and second tier uh, to table dining. So now they're kind of across the, the restaurant spectrum. And out of the 6,700 stores they have, or roughly 6,700 stores, uh, less than 100 are company operated. Everything else is franchised. And franchising is a fantastic business model in the restaurant space. Let's talk about that franchise model. Um, you've described MTY as a check cashing machine. Uh, what brought you to that? And then also, what's MTY's relationship with franchisees look like? How do they make money from franchisees? Sure. Uh, so, so a franchising business is I have a system with uh, I have a menu, I have ingredient lists, I have uh, products you buy, I've got everything branded, yada yada, and I sell you the system. You want to open up down the street? You're, you're opening your very first Coldstone Creamery. So I give you an entire restaurant system, restaurant concept, and you pay me a franchising fee up front, let's say 50 grand or whatever. But you also pledge as part of being in my system, and, and we start you out for say a 10 year, a 10 year deal. Uh, you are sending me 6% of your sales off the top, off the top, I'm getting 6% of your sales as a royalty. Okay, So you are responsible for the operating of the business. You are responsible for paying the rent. You are responsible for buying the food. And by the way, I'm going to specify what food, what ingredients you buy. You are responsible for buying your uh, your appurtenances, your cups, your napkins, your et cetera, et cetera. Um, then you're also going to pay me for your advertising. So you're going to give me between yeah, typically one and a half to three percent, depending on the concept. Uh, you're going to give me uh, X dollars, X percent of your sales that I'm going to be using for my pooled advertising. So I'm, I'm getting your six percent of your sales every month. You got to write me a check, regardless of how well you manage your business. Plus, you're also paying your own advertising through me. Many of MTY's restaurants were beaten up by the pandemic a little bit in the 2021 annual filing. MTY said it had about $834 million in total debt, $300 million in net debt. Uh, you said previously that you can expect that the company is going to continue to throw cash into acquisitions. My question, are you happy with how the company is handling capital allocation right now? 100%. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on the number of debt. I mean, we, have, we use Capital IQ, which will uh, make what I consider to be the cardinal financial mistake of equating 
operating leases with debt. Uh, and that's one of my particular bugaboos. I understand the financial finance prof uh, argument for why you should consider it, but I do not consider uh, operating lease payments to be debt equivalent. So the actual debt they have outstanding is just over $360 million in the most recent quarter uh, against just over $52 million in cash. Uh, they have actually taken down their debt by a couple hundred million during the pandemic because they haven't been able to buy anyone. They've only recently completed uh, an acquisition uh, of a company, I'm going to mangle the name, called uh, Quato Comptoir à Tartar. It's a chain of tartar rest- uh, of, uh, restaurants, which next time in Quebec, I'm going there on day one, because um, I love tartar. But uh, the, the, their, their debt is fine. Their debt, debt is low cost. This, is a, this company makes a tremendous amount of cash flow. So for their lenders, their lenders have no concerns about getting repaid here. And what this does is it gives them uh, significant dry powder for making acquisitions. And so one of the things that MTY does is they can borrow or they can sign a lease with an implicit interest rate lower than you or I can as individuals. So what MTY does a lot of is once 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 I sell you a franchise and I set you up we're going to locate it here, they take the lease. They turn around and basically do a pass through and lease to their franchisee. And so that's a win-win. It lowers the borrowing cost, it lowers the the residency cost for the franchisee and for the franchisor being MTY, it helps set them up to be more successful. And so that ends up you know, as I said, it's a win-win. So I, I'm not, I'm not worried about the debt at all here. To be honest with you, uh, they could, they could repay it quite easily. The, they, they got through the pandemic, uh, the worst of the pandemic, where a lot of their stores, because they got a lot of restaurants in Ontario and Quebec, um, and those were closed for a significant amount of time. And you know, and they navigated through that quite nicely. And and I don't think the stock now that most of those stores are pretty much open for full business, full sit down, full takeaway. Stock market hasn't the stock market hasn't returned the stock price to where I think it should be, given the performance that this company is. Let's talk a little bit about company leadership. I know you you love the chairman Stanley Ma. Uh, what should what should what should investors know about this company's management? So here is Stanley Ma. Started the precursor company that that grew into MTY. Uh, believe started the first uh, the first concept. I'm trying to remember the first restaurant concept and failing miserably. Uh, I think it was Tiki Ming, um, but it helped develop that. It's just Chinese food uh, for food courts. Um, and had a large had a large stake, has has a large stake to this day. Uh, but what was really interesting, I believe, in mid two thousand and three, with the company much 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 smaller than it was today, uh, than it is today, uh, Stanley Ma went out and bought twenty five percent of the company on the open market using his own money. And here's the thing: the uh, MTY today is about fifty two dollars Canadian. I think it's probably worth north of seventy, but that's another story. Uh, Today it's fifty-two dollars. When he went out and bought it, it was twenty-five cents. So the man sat on, and and it has been as high as I believe, close to eighty, or if not over eighty, before the pandemic. Uh, the man sat on 
a multi, multi, multi bagger for years, never sold a share, took a modest salary. It's, it's kind of almost comical to read the, the, the proxy statement because, you know, it's like, oh, here's here's Stanley Moss, CEO, taking a fairly modest salary for what he's built. Uh, and, you know, and then you look on the line, it's like, oh, we, oh, and also we, you know, we, we pay for a car, you know, it pays for his car lease and you, you see the amount of money involved. And like, so like you're driving a Ford Crown Victoria, uh, you know, like there's no fancy car here. Um, but he's he's just interested in, 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 in creating value. Uh, for shareholders, because he's the largest shareholder. Uh, the only time that I've ever seen him sell was about a year and a half ago, I believe. Uh, I believe he took about 20% of his money finally off the table. Uh, today, he's now he's no longer CEO. He has kicked himself upstairs to executive chairman. Uh, he's in his 70s now, so I suppose he's allowed to retire. Um, but uh, Eric Lefebvre is, the, is CEO. He's a longtime uh, CFO, COO. Of, of MTY, so there's been some really great continuity there. They are still very stingy with their equity. Any considerations for Americans who may be interested in this company? I know it trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange. We would have to go to an over-the-counter market. It's always funny to me because Canadians can trade on the NYSE or the NASDAQ as easy as we trade on the TSX. Just every broker has that ability. So first, I would say check your broker. Maybe you can trade on the TSX. I believe Interactive Brokers allows you to do that. And so it's easy. You can just buy the, uh, you can just simply buy MTY, the ticker on the TSX. Uh, but if you have to go OTC, that's where the ticker is MTYFF, uh, you, you want to look up two things before, three things before you, you go buy OTC because the volume and liquidity OTC is, of course, much, much, much smaller than on the TSX. So the first two things you want to look up, you want to look up the Canadian price. Next, you want to look up MTYFF, the OTC sticker. And the third thing you want to look up is what is the present spot exchange rate for the Canadian to US dollar. And you want to take the, uh, the Canadian price and you want to multiply it by the present spot rate. You would put a limit order for roughly what the price of the Canadian stock price multiplied by the current spot raises, and you try to get that filled. It's a little bit more work, but you'd want to do that because you don't, you know, because essentially you're buying basically the same thing from OTC than you would be buying on the on the TSX, but the liquidity thing has a bit of an influence. So you, you might have to pay, you know, a quarter of a percent higher or lower, depending. But uh, first, check out if you can actually transact in the TS TSX first before you need to go to this extra step. So ultimately, as we put a pin in this, why is MTY Food Group a uh, interesting company to you, and what's the best fish for a tartar? <laughs> Uh, I, I make a pretty mean trout tartare, actually. Uh, so, so that's uh, you know, come on up, we'll we'll feed you. I bluntly think this is an undervalued company today. I have uh, because it's a check cashing machine, it's a capital light company. Um, capital light companies tend to justify higher valuation multiples. Okay, uh, so and I've always been traditionally, I've been willing to pay up to twelve times EBITDA for this business. Today you're paying under nine. Okay, uh, I have said that uh, the cash flow they generate there, they are probably going to generate this year. Uh, I'm going to ballpark it about 135 million in free cash flow. I strip out lease payments from that. Uh, so you're you're gonna you're gonna they're gonna do about 135 million. Uh, again, it's a one point it's a shy of 1.3 billion Canadian, uh, and they are going to spend that money on. Dividends. They've raised their dividend about uh, um, fourfold, I think, over the past decade. Uh, they're going to buy back some stock because they clear, and and they're very selective about buy, about buybacks. I'm hoping they're going to find some additional acquisitions. 
because 6,700 stores in North America sounds a lot, like a lot, until you realize it's less than 1% of the restaurants in North America. Like there is a lot more, there's a lot more ground for them to conquer. What more do you want? Good cash flowing story, undervalued with uh, great management. Like, what do you need? I want to pay you a dividend to wait. <laughs> Jim Gillies, you know him from the morning show. He runs Hidden Gems Canada. Jim, good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.